This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Welcome to Window on the East. I'm Liam Halligan, Editor-at-Large of BNE Intellinews. In this edition, I talk to Yevgeny Fetisov, Chief Financial Officer of Moex, the Moscow Exchange which hosts trading in Russian equities, bonds, currencies and other financial instruments. Speaking at Moex's London conference, we discussed the recent rise in the Russian market, the ongoing undervaluation of Russian stocks in the minds of many investors, and the latest progress on corporate governance. With the ruble-denominated MySex index of Russian stocks up 23% year-to-date, at an all-time high, and even the dollar-denominated RTS index through the 1,000 mark, I started by asking Fetisov if he felt Russia, despite slow growth and ongoing sanctions, is about to turn a corner. My first comment would be, I think it's more, more, it's more important for us to look at the ruble denominated index. At, actually, it, it shows the, uh, the way the economy is developing, because Russia, in my personal view, has uh, for some uh, time now been uh, I mean, uh, like dealing from dollars uh, as it used to be maybe 20 years ago so it's no longer a pure dollar it's no longer a dollar economy right it's a ruble economy so that the index is more, far more important so as you have said it's at all-time high and I think it speaks for itself so uh, looking at the numbers I mean I just read the yesterday that the, the uh, yearly inflation um, has printed 5.9 percent uh, in November which is a low number it's a I think it's a post it, for, for the past or two and a half years, it's the lowest uh, uh, lowest trading, and uh, I'm fairly confident the central bank will hit its uh, will will hit its inflation target of four percent within say 12 to 18 months. The Russian From, central bank obviously has been raising interest rates in recent years. Uh, they have been raising interest rates. They have been managing inflation expectations and inflation itself. So they've been targeting inflation, and that has been a shift in monetary policy from away from effects. Uh, say targeting FX rate towards the inflation targeting, which and uh, they've been very successful with that, given all the uh, external circumstances um, uh, for say, surrounding Russia and and uh, external circumstances for the Russian economy. So, having the inflation rate at four percent will be a first time for the modern Russia. So it has never happened since 1991. Since the collapse of communism, we've never... Ne- since since the, yeah, the time we have Russian, it's modern sense. We never had an inflation at 4%. And it actually sets a totally new, I think, a totally new backdrop for the economy as a whole. So it provides more visibility for the corporates to plan going forward. It stimulates both corporates and retail investors to actually look for something uh, more risky than bank deposits to invest into. And we think that will uh, start the uh, credit cycle again, like uh, Mrs. Ms. Yudayeva t- told us today, that, that we actually seen the bottom of the credit cycle and we are starting to go up, starting to move up with uh, more leverage coming to uh, Russian corporates in the first place. She's an official at the Russian Central Bank, of course, which has won international plaudits for the way it's managed um, Russia during the recent crisis. Right. But to a lot of foreigners looking at the Russian market, they'll be reading in their newspapers, Russia's in crisis, there are sanctions, everything's terrible. And yet the stock market is, the ruble-denominated stock market, the MySex, is at an all-time high. How can you explain that? 
Is there a lot of foreign money coming in? Uh, we have, uh, I mean, there. We have. Certain, I mean, if you look at this, I mean, uh, over the last two years, the percentage of the U.S. holdings in the Russian free float has increased. So, regardless of the sanctions on all the uh, political from what to what roughly? Uh, I think it went up from roughly forty percent to forty-five, forty-six percent. That's of the free float. Of the free float, or maybe even it was even maybe below forty percent. So it it has increased. Uh, so it's a substantial amount. The free float of the Russian market is relatively small because you've got lots of strategic investors and and entrepreneurs who have built their businesses and then floated because it's a relatively immature market, right? But still, I mean, but still, still yeah. but still, I mean, the amount of. Uh, the free float, which started to be owned by the U.S. at expense of actually continental Europe, has increased. And when we speak to the fund managers, they say we've been paid for the performance, not for the politics. Yeah. So what they actually do, they look at the fundamentals. But these are, say, educated and dedicated investors, which yeah. can... Specialized institutional investors. Specialized institutional investors, which can afford to spend time looking specifically at a particular market, study it in depth, and make educated decisions. Other investors, which uh, have less time to focus on, any, on a particular country, just uh, skim the headlines in the newspapers, which uh, at this Christmas times more sound to me more like a fairy tales where you have to have a good good hero or and then the the bad one, right? And Russia turns to be a boogeyman in the past couple of years, and everything Russia label is bad, right? So that's that's uh. yeah, that's so you, we don't touch that because it's Russia, right? But if you if you look if you look at the, at the facts. Uh, for the Russian economy, it's large, right? So people keep forgetting that. So it's one of the largest economies globally, and it's still large. Uh, it has a prudent economic policies, monetary, uh, fiscal, and effects. So Russia has very low debt level, both on the corporate level and the state level. Uh, we have free floating ruble, and we have a fairly uh, balanced, I mean, although now debt and negative, but still fairly well-managed budget. So all that put into perspective actually creates a very solid foundation for further growth. I mean, I can criticize what we have uh, like for hours, but because, I mean, you can always look at things from two perspectives. But in reality, we see a very positive changes in terms of how the country is managed and how economy, how economy is doing with a weaker ruble, like we heard today on the conference, and with... Uh, the government supporting the development of the economy, we actually seeing growth in the sectors which were in, in, in the shadows previously. So Russia is not only oil and gas, it's agriculture, uh, it's local industrial production. Russia started to export cars, as you may, as you may know. And with the qualified and now relatively inexpensive labor, it is becoming a very competitive place for, uh, for investing and producing. But come on, I hear lots of my British and American friends say. There, there are sanctions, there's geopolitical risk, Putin's a terrible leader. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I don't want everybody to invest alongside with me, right? So if I want to, if I want to take one, say, extreme, right? I don't expect everybody to understand this market as well as the specialized ones. But... Um, mm, what would you... Look, the Moscow Exchange, you're obviously right. a very successful business... Um, uh, Moscow's financial services industry is becoming bigger and bigger. The domestic investor base is becoming bigger. Still quite small, I want to come on to that. What do you want to see? Don't tell me what's good. Tell me what you would like to see to make it even better. We'd like to see uh, more... I mean, we definitely... We always want to see more foreign inflows into the Russian capital markets. 
That's that's it. We would like to see more Russian local domestic uh, inflows into the capital markets as well. And uh, I'm fairly confident we'll see that in the coming 12 to, say, 24 months with the macro situation being more stable and as local investors will look for higher yields than just uh, regular bank deposits. So we'll, we'll, we'll see that. And uh, um, onto the sanctions question, again, you have to understand what sanctions mean, because you have a limited number of sanctioned entities, and then these sanctioned entities are limited in terms of how much certain, I mean, how much the capital they can raise in new equities, and again, this is not something that they're doing. So there's more of, an, I would say there's more negative perception than reality, and I guess this is how they were designed to work. Uh, but again, that's, that is something which shouldn't be stopping people from looking at the country and investing into the country. If they if they want to uh, say make their returns. Now, those of us that follow the Russian market closely, we know all about the the so-called Voloshin Committee, the uh, efforts that have been made to improve corporate governance, create Moscow as an international financial centre, and up on the platform at investment conferences like this, we hear lots of people praising those reforms. But then, in the coffee breaks and at lunches and in private. There is some disappointment, isn't there? What more could we do on the corporate governance side in order to end this Russian discount? The Russian market has traded for many years at a discount to markets like Brazil uh, and even markets like China, where corporate governance is arguably far, far worse. How can we get rid of this discount or at least reduce this discount so Russian equities trade at what people in your position would think is fair value? I think there are two uh, approaches to that. One is uh, that the state is now taking and doing, so it's actually improving the governance, corporate governance on the of the SOEs or state-owned enterprises. Uh, and I think that they're taking steps to actually uh, introduce independent directors, uh, force the state-owned companies to pay out dividends at the, say at least 50% of their IFRS uh, net income. And that means consolidated net income, not only the uh, the, the say the parent company. And that's generally been happening. It's it's it started to happen. So we're waiting for uh, the time where there will be no exceptions, right? So no uh, no small print and saying this company doesn't pay. So this is and, and more privatization. So what we want to see is actually less uh, uh, le- le- less a share of state in owning and managing the econ- economy uh, as the as, as the the shareholder, right? And uh, again, that's what was Minister of Economic uh, uh, Development and uh, uh, Minister of Finance representatives were telling us today. So this is the way the, comp- the country is, is going. And the second approach is uh, something which where we can be more active as an exchange and actually making sure that the private companies which uh, are listed on the exchange are adhering to the corporate governance code. And the ones that want to be in the A list or in the top list are actually adhering to all the requirements of the corporate governance code and listing rules and are treating their shareholders fairly or equally, and then they, they have independent directors and disclose information as they should. So this is, this is the way basically the market um, regulates, uh, regulates them. So as an exchange, you see your job not just as an intermediary, but also as a champion of corporate governance in what is still a nascent stock market, a, 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 an emerging stock market. Sure, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. We're not only a, a venue for trading. We're actually working on creating the ecosystem, making sure that the companies which are listed are quality names, and we doing our best to actually lead by example, showing how the corporate governance works, and that if you or if a company 
does everything in a proper way or does more than that and, and uh, is it transparent and uh, works uh, with shareholders, it it's actually has a lower discount. Although I have to admit, we as a company still have Russia discount and we're working on eliminating that because there are Russian companies which has zero or no discount. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's something which can be achieved. Given that Russian equities are now euro-clearable, something that not everybody appreciates, what's the point of buying a depository seat, a DR or a GDR? Why don't people just automatically buy directly uh, the stock? The Why do you think depository receipts are still being used in Russia? If I if I if I'm not be serious for a moment, I'd say the only reason to buy depository receipts if if you want to sponsor a, a depository receipt program back, right? Just give your money away give, to give an extra intermediary. They, yeah, they're nice intermediaries. They're doing their they've done their jobs. Uh, few years ago, so why don't you pay them extra for a dividends that get processed by them and um, why don't uh, you let them charge you on the tax rates? So if, if you look at the numbers uh, on, on the dividend, dividend paying stocks, investors can lose up to 12% of the dividend proceeds just on the, on the fees they pay to intermediary banks and in addition to that they get less of, uh, say of shareholder rights when uh, the corporate actions uh, come into place. Just to, just to explain to an international audience right. how shareholder voting rights work on the Russian equity market, uh, the proportionate nature of the voting rights, right. particularly when it comes to the election of board uh, members, because I don't think this is widely understood internationally. So yeah, whenever the board members get elected, and I think this is one of, is one of the most important points, uh, there is a cumulative voting. So every share gets a number of votes, which is uh, proportional to the number of board seats, and this vote gets get casted uh, according to the a shareholder wish. Whenever you use an intermediary depository receipt program manager, you don't get to vote, or you're limited in terms of uh, the votes you can cast, because. Uh, uh, De facto, or according to the Russian law, uh, a owner of your stock is the uh, a depository bank, not yourself. So they have an option of uh, voting or not voting, or taking their, uh, instructions or not. And then, if something happens, they don't uh, be or they be really limited responsibility. So the way we see that, if it, it as if you are buying a derivative which is more expensive and has low, less rights, but you somehow hold it. So depository receipts normally work in the undeveloped markets with a poor infrastructure where there is a lot of risk of owning shares directly. which Execution risks. Execution yeah. and uh, basically and, and holding risks. Yeah. So which has been the case for the Russian market back in the 90s. It no longer is. So we have a infra infrastructure which is on par with the global standards in terms of the... Uh, say, um, all the laws which cover govern investor rights, investor protection, corporate governance, uh, exchanges, clearing, risk, settlement, all the things. I should say, I should disclose to, to listeners, as many of my readers will know, I've been a fund manager investing in Russian stocks uh, over the years. But that also means I've seen personally and been involved in corporate governance disputes where mandatory tender offers have been uh, uh, avoided, where uh, dividend payments haven't happened, uh, not in recent years, but relatively recently. Um, what can you do to reassure investors when they do keep reading um, a lot of historic um, reports 
of uh, abuses that have happened. Isn't it still the case that in Russia, as long as you absolutely ab adhere to the letter of the law, the spirit of the law is often ignored? Uh, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think it's a, would be a fairly strong statement. Uh, the way we see that the uh, law has been applied and the courts are working, uh, I mean, Russia is no exception. I mean, you can find the cases where uh, uh, companies abuse their rights in any market. So, and what we've seen in Russia is we, A, have far fewer cases that we, a fewer number of cases that we can call a violation of shareholder rights or any corporate governance issues applied to that. And B, the noise which uh, with such a every such case is so high, so we understand that it actually becoming rather an exception than the standard uh, thing for, for this market. Tell us about the, the, the development of the domestic investor base in Russia. There's often been compared to other emerging markets, certainly other economies of comparable uh, size, a lack of long domestic institutional money, pension funds, insurance companies, say compared to a Brazil uh, or a China and some of the emerging Asian countries too. Is it the case that Russia is starting to get a domestic institutional investor base that underpins the market, that kind of puts a floor on the valuation? Uh, we are at the very beginning of this uh, uh, road. Uh, so what we started to have uh, in the past, uh, I would say, two or three years, the central bank has uh, revamped the pension fund uh, industry. So now we have the, the, the issue, basically, the, the clean up the industry, the issue of new licenses. We now started to have the pension funds, non-government state pension funds, which manage more money than the state-owned pension, state pension funds. Overall size of the industry is 4.1 trillion rubles, with non-state one being more than half of that. And this money gets invested into the securities and bank deposits as well. But this is, again, like I said, this is just the beginning of that. We, we started to see the individual investment accounts which were introduced in 2015. This is a uh, basically the tax-free form of investing. For, like Russian ICES, for, we call them here right, in the UK, it, yeah. Exactly. This is a, the ICES for, for Russians to invest into the securities. So it has been a second year this year with... Uh, with these uh, uh, individual investment accounts, and we now have roughly 180,000 of those, which we think a fairly good dynamic for for a Russian market where equity culture was not as developed. But Russia has a massive savings habit, as anyone who's lived there knows. It's got, in general, a pretty financially, mathematically literate population, yet we've only got... Um, around a, a trillion rubles of in, in domestic invested uh, equity uh, compared to 25 trillion invested in domestic banks in interest-bearing deposits. Sure. And if you add uh, to that comparison to the real estate, which Russia used as an investment vehicle over the past 20 years, the picture would get even bleaker. Uh, however, like I said, the change, the beginning of change will start with a more stable macro environment. So what has prevented investment into the equities and bonds were, see, high volatility and effects, high, high, interest, high rates, interest rates, of course, yeah. and uh, unpredictable macro. So that, 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 since that is changing, we will see more flows coming to, uh, to the securities. And bonds will be the first ones where we believe retail investors will, uh, will start investing. As, as you rightly mentioned, they are fairly literate in terms of, and they do, can do their math.
<laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and finally, Yevgeny, uh, uh, tell us about the listings coming up on the Moscow exchange. There is a fear um, that as the economy does turn a corner, even under sanctions and with sanctions potentially coming off in the future uh, and oil prices going up, there is a fear uh, among investors we could see such a wall of supply of new Russian equity as we have new IPOs. Added to that wall of supply could be more privatizations, particularly if Rosneft comes to market. That could itself dilute valuations just because there is so much more Russian equity going to be around. Uh, I'm not... Uh I'm not an expert in, say, in the global <laughs> evolution of the equities market. Uh, but my sense is that there is enough uh, supply of, of, of money to uh, digest all the offerings that can come into place. I mean, A, with more concerns uh, on the investor side towards the Brazil mar- Brazilian market and Chinese, Chinese market. So there is enough uh, cash sitting there for the emerging markets so that these uh, new and upcoming IPOs could uh, get processed and, and digested without... I would say that without delusion of the valuations or multiples. And apart from Russia winning the World Cup, which of course you want to see in 2018, what's the one thing you want to change in Russia to really make the market more investable? I think the, the, if, if I just choose one thing, I would say the way, uh, the efficiency with which courts work. So we have a, we have a, we have a good system of laws. And the application of these laws, according to according to the rule of law, will be the, I think, the best thing that can happen to Russia if it's done like 100% as it should be. Can that change quickly? Legal, the quality of the judges, the quality of the courts. While you have obviously the written law is is completely serviceable, can you get a reasonably fast change in the uh, efficacy with which laws are actually implemented? This is a very good question I wish I could answer. I think uh, uh, no process happens overnight, so we have to start taking steps. And actually, we're moving there. So it's, uh, I mean, I'm an optimist, so I actually see more of, say, of an upside. My glass is always half, half full. So I would say yes. Yevgeny Fetisov, CFO of Moscow Exchange, thank you very much. Thank you.